ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to the first edition of Hard to Paint of September, and we've got a great guest to kick off the month, Christian Clark from NOLA.com, beat writer for the New Orleans Pelicans, and a lot to talk about on the Pelicans front. Christian, welcome back, man. It's been a while since we've uh, had a little chat. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. A little less than a month before we get going again. I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I'm ready. I'm just twiddling my thumbs, basically. Well, we did get a little bit of NBA news today, and so I want to ask you about that first. Um, the impact of the Donovan Mitchell trade, he leaves the Western Conference, Utah clearly in a rebuild, a team that had been a playoff mainstay and has been a playoff mainstay for the majority of the past 30 years. Um, looks like Danny Ainge is going through a full rebuild now um, after uh, Rudy Gobert going to, to Minnesota and now Donovan Mitchell out. Um, headed to Cleveland. What do you think the impact is on the Western Conference there and then in particular for the New Orleans Pelicans? Yeah, I mean, like Utah's are pretty much guaranteed wins on the Pelican schedule now. I mean, I think we all expected, you know, Mitchell to go somewhere. Um, you know, I think from a Pelicans perspective, you know, you're you're waiting to see, well, did they get in on one of these guys who the Jazz still have who they're probably going to get off of, you know, like, did they did they try to make a move and get like Boyan Bogdanovich, who has one year left on his deal? Um, you know, a guy who could come off the bench for New Orleans, be a scorer, and then you know he's not really clogging up the books for multiple years. So, I mean, I think that's something I'm keeping my eye on from New Orleans' perspective. But it's always great to see you know stars go from the West to East too, because it's it's already <laughs> hard enough in the West. Yeah, a lot of people, you know have been saying the Pelicans need another scoring guard, maybe a Jordan, go after Jordan Clarkson now, uh, you know, former sixth man of the year, uh, a volume score, a heat check kind of guy. Um, but certainly with the way Danny Ainge is going right now, he could be available for the right price as well. And then, of course, the Pelicans lack a veteran point guard. Mike Conley's deal isn't particularly that long. Could you swap him out maybe for a Devontae Graham and bring in a Mike Conley and have a veteran point guard on your roster, which I think is something the Pelicans could use. Yeah, that's an interesting one to me. I mean, like I'm I'm expecting this team, you know, on opening night to, to just start CJ, you know, kind of at league guard and then have her BI, Zion, and JV, and that's your starting mm -hmm. five. Um, I mean, everything I've heard is that they're they're really comfortable rolling with that five. But I mean, I think that would be really interesting. You know, I guess Herb slides to the bench in that scenario. Um, you know, I, I do, I would worry a little bit about what happens to, you know, your perimeter defense there because Zion, obviously we know he's, you know, one of one offensive talent, but has really struggled on the defensive end. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting name for sure. Well, I mean, I think if you, if you make the deal with Conley due to his injury history and things like that, then you say, look, you're our primary guard off the bench. You know, and you keep CJ in that lead guard role, like you said, and have Herb at your two, essentially, B.I. the three, Zion the four, and, and Jonas at the five. Because, like you said, defensively, you cannot compromise a team, to me, that outside of Herb is very average in its starting five defensively. You have willing defenders in CJ and B.I. Zion has struggled. Jonas can be taken out of matchups, as we saw in the uh, Phoenix series. So I think you at the there's no way with the way that um, uh, Willie Green wants to play, which is with the 0 0.5 and, and putting pressure on the basketball, creating fast break opportunities. You can't move Herb Jones out of that starting five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if Mike Conley wants to be a backup guard in New Orleans, like you couldn't sign me up fast enough. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's just it's like, I mean, I really have no feel for like what he wants in his right. next role or, or how he views his role going forward. But I mean, yeah, that would be incredible, obviously, <laughs> if you could pull that I, off. You just wonder, I mean, how many spaces are there for Mike Conley? Because he clearly wants to win at this stage. He's He's yeah. been close with teams, but he's never gotten over the hump. Um, he's been to Western Conference Finals with Memphis. Um, and and I think if you're at his age, he's, he's up there at this point. Do you sacrifice? Because we saw it with other guys who came from that, that Memphis team who said, yeah, I'll take a smaller role somewhere else um, and, and and give myself a chance. And when you look at the Pelicans, you say this is a team that 
I think that at their best right now, if they, if everything goes to plan, if everybody's healthy, they should be competing for home court advantage. Not not one or two seed, I don't think, in the West. I don't think that's realistic. But I think they're a legitimate threat to be a four uh, in the West if they're healthy. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I feel like this whole thing is like if they're healthy, you know, <laughs> I mean. We we all know about Zion, like playing the 85 games, you know, hasn't played in more than a year. I mean, Brandon Ingram is also a guy who has missed a lot of games throughout his career. I mean, CJ McCollum historically has been really durable. Jonas Valanciunas, durable. Herb Jones was, you know, like an Iron Man his rookie year. But yeah, I mean, it comes down to the health of those two guys, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Like, can you get, I don't know, 65, 70 plus games from, from both of those guys? I mean, I, I love this team if you do. That, to me, also, I think the other question for this team um, is the relationship and how those three stars figure out their roles. I think people, you know, with their predictions for Zion, um, I'll ask you about that in a second. But first, just that relationship between these three. Brandon Ingram, to me, clearly established himself last season as the leader of this team. The, the, the guy who's, who says, I'll close games, the guy who was willing, he became a much more vocal person on both ends of the floor. He showed some arrogance, which you like to see out of your top player. You know, that, that, that swagger that comes with the confidence. I know what I'm doing in this league now. I know how to get to my spot. CJ provides that veteran role of, look, this is, you know, I think he, he can seamlessly slide in as the third guy on this team because clearly Zion and Brandon are one and two. But where for Zion Williamson, a guy who comes back and the only two players on this roster he's played with are Brandon Ingram and Jackson Hayes for extensive minutes. He's got to figure himself out. I don't think it's as simple as people want to make it that you drop him in and it's 27 points and, and eight boards and 65 percent from day one. I think it's going to take some time at the beginning of the season for those guys to figure that balance out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really intriguing question you know there's so much offensive talent but when you have you know three really good offensive players and you know Jonas Valanciunas is also an excellent offensive player I mean that's four guys right there someone's going to have to sacrifice I mean someone is probably not going to get as many shots as they would like in a perfect world um and I, I mean I, I'm really interested to see who that person is um you know, I, I'm interested to see the, the fit between Zion and Jonas Valanciunas because I think it's much better than Zion and Steven Adams. Mm -hmm. um, Jonas Valanciunas is he's just such a better scorer, you know, inside of six, eight feet than Steven Adams. You know, he can hit the three every every once in a while, but, you know, it's not like he's a high volume guy or anything. Um, so, you know, I, I'm interested to see that fit. Um, but with Zion, I mean, I, I guess I... I'm a, have like a little different opinion. Like I'm, I'm really not worried about him getting his numbers as long as he's healthy, just because I, f I feel like I've seen him in so many different contexts and playing in so many different basketball situations that weren't like ideal fits and like even less than ideal fits, and he still is putting up insane numbers. Like Duke, for example, they were like one of the worst three point shooting teams in the entire nation. He was there. He's playing with like you know dinosaur centers the whole time. They couldn't hit a three. He just had this crazy season. You know, his first year, I think that was like a actually a pretty good basketball fit. We know what he did. And then, you know, his second season, like they're using him at lead guard kind of, and there it was just a bad fit around them. And he still had this all-time season. So I mean, as long as he's healthy, I mean, I, I just think you you can kind of count on 25 from him. I I think the totals will come. I just think that like the out of the gate, you still have to figure it out on the basketball court. Where do guys, you know, Zion has to refigure out his spacing again with guys and, and figure out, okay, where now B.I., you know, who takes the lead? And, and C.J. is going to have to figure out when do I feed this guy? When do I feed that guy? It's a great problem to have. No, no doubt. I mean, you have four guys who legitimately in this league can average 20 points a game in your starting lineup. And I think Herb Jones also is a guy who offensively will continue to develop and has shown that he can at least be a, a, a legitimate threat from deep, um, you know, in a catch and shoot situation. So offensively, they have all of the things you want. I just think that, you know, I don't see them starting one in 13. I'm just saying that first month of the season as they're figuring each other out again, because Zion has not been around and the training camps now in the NBA are so short that the on-court time, you know, you can't replicate that in practice. I mean, totally. I mean, the, the starting five, the last time Zion was playing was 
Eric Bledsoe, Alonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, you know, Zion and Steven Adams. I mean, three of those five guys are, are not here anymore. And, you know, I think him and Brandon had some nice moments, but I don't think you could say they figured out how to like, you know, like play off each other in the best way possible or anything like that. So, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely with you from that standpoint. Um, one of the big things this offseason has been, as of recent, uh, the Laguna Beach workouts. And so far, the, the young guys were out there first. Um, you know, Herb, Trey, Devontae, Dyson, Jax, Kyra, all out there first. Larry Nance headed out there. It looks like Brandon Ingram is out there as well. Um, we saw this before uh, with the Pelicans, before the big playoff season against uh, when they when they uh, eventually beat Portland in the first round, made it to uh, face Golden State. I like that the young guys, who I think have not gotten maybe as much talk because their their improvement this year is vital as well. All the rookies, do they take a step forward? Kyra is certainly in a situation where he has a lot to prove um, coming back from injury. And, and then, of course, Jackson Hayes in the last year of his deal has a lot to prove as well, considering how he ended the season, you know, looking pretty poorly against Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely great to see such good participation. I mean, it was like, I think even John Butler, who, mm-hmm. you know, is just a guy who played summer league and I think will be part of training camp. But I mean, we don't even know if he's going to be a two-way guy yet. Like he, he was out there, um, you know, I think he was at some Saints practices with some guys. So it does seem like there is, you know, really good camaraderie. Um, and, you know, Kyra Lewis Jr., very interesting player this year. I mean, are they going to make a trade? Because they, they kind of have so many, you know, small guards coming off the bench. They got Jose Alvarado, who I think is definitely, you know, a key part of this team moving forward. You've got Devontae Graham. You know, you've got Kyra uh, headed into into year three, you know, coming off that ACL injury. And Jackson Hayes, too, I think, you know, is, is definitely a name to watch on the trade market, too. Um, you know, I, I think he he showed something last year at the end of the year playing power forward next to Jonas Valanciunas. Obviously, Zion is going to get, you know, the majority of those minutes this year. I mean, I, I reported in March that it's like there's – not really much of a chance that he signs an extension. You know, he's eligible for that rookie extension before the first day of the regular season. I don't, I don't expect him to sign that. And I mean, from what I can tell people in his corner view him as a power forward, they don't think he's a center. And I think, you know, if, if you make that assumption, then the fit with him and Zion, like, you know, like the Pelicans are obviously going to value Zion more because he's Zion. So it's like, well, maybe it will be better uh, elsewhere. And there's more opportunity there. So I'm not saying like they're, you know, no one's asking for a trade, but like if that were to happen, you know, I like I don't think they would be sad or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think there are two things that that work against Jackson. Like you said, first of all, if Zion's playing 30 plus minutes a night, the majority of those are coming at the four. Um, he may play some small ball five. He may move, play some three, you know, um, at times as well. But I think the complication is Trey Murphy the third, because Trey now a legitimate 6'10", has started to fill out, led the led all rookies in three-point shooting last season, showed he could rebound on the offensive end, proved he was a, a player who could make an impact even when he wasn't scoring defensively, and can pass the ball a little bit and, and create in the half court, which we saw him do in summer league. So I think Trey Murphy, you look at him as a four, and you say he can play stretch four for me. He can do some things on the interior. And Jackson Hayes, even when he played well at power forward, still didn't put up great rebound numbers and had fewer blocks on the season than Herb Jones. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Trey is going to be a really important part of this team this year. Um, you know, he has, like, gotten bigger, as you said. Um, I mean, him and Larry Nance are, are going to, I think, be, you know, your primary bigs off of the bench. I think the Pelicans will use Larry, you know, a lot at at center this year, you know, especially when they need to close games and go small and like they want to they want to have a, you know, a five in there who can kind of switch the pick and roll, they'll lean on him a lot. Um I mean, I'm interested to see like you know how how I guess much can Trey Murphy guard up. Like I I feel comfortable with him at the four and there just aren't that many, you know, like plus catch and shoot three-point shooters on this roster. Um so I think that skill set by itself makes him really valuable. Yeah, you know, one of the things, you know, people continue to say the Pelicans need more shooting. 
Um, I don't think they need more shooting. I think they have enough players who can shoot the basketball. I think their biggest problem last year was their the way that they were in a, unable to create good three-point shots. Zion certainly helps with that. C.J. McCollum helps with that. And I think you also get a decrease in three-point attempts from your worst shooters. You have taken Josh Hart out of the mix, who was a below-average three-point shooter. Devontae Graham's minutes will be significantly reduced this season, meaning he's not going to get 500 threes up this season. Um, and then you also you take um, – you take the, the the Garrett Temple threes. Uh, he was in the top five in, team, in the team in attempts at one point. So those three guys being out, those shots going to a Herb Jones who improved as a shooter as, as the year went on, Trey Murphy, and even Jose Alvarado who got better as a shooter, and CJ being there for an entire season, who's a guy who's almost a 40% three-point shooter for his career, and Brandon Ingram who shot below his typical averages last year shot around 34% where he had been a 39% shooter the previous two seasons. I think they have the shooting. It's the shot creation, particularly in the corner. The Pelicans were really bad on the easiest three-point shot in the league, the corner three. Yeah, I just I just don't worry about this team on offense at all, you know, barring health as we've said a couple of times. I mean, there's just so many good offensive players on this team. I mean, I mean, what, what Zion has done when he's played is just ridiculous. Like, I think, I mean, you know, maybe not me and you, but like, I think some people have forgotten just how good he is on offense and he hasn't even really been, gotten in shape yet. Uh, I hope we see that this season. I mean, I just, even if they're like 17th and three point percentage, I don't, I don't worry about their offense at all. It's just all my concerns are, are kind of on the other end. And, you know, we haven't heard Willie Green talk a bunch this summer, but the few times I've heard him you know, talk on the record, he's like, it's going to start with us on defense. Like to me, that's a coach being like also thinking I'm not worried about our offense. Like it'll take care of itself in time. I'm, I'm worried about the other end. And I think he has good reason to be, you know, uh, you look at this group. And like we said, we talked about the starting lineup. You don't have an all NBA defender there outside of Herb Jones, who certainly, you know, it felt like a snub last year. Um, and I think team success and being a rookie, it makes it hard. They hadn't been a rookie on the all-defensive team since Tim Duncan. So, you know, it's it's not an easy place to get. Um, but the other two best defenders on this roster that you would say are Jose Alvarado and Trey Murphy, and they're both reserves. Um, you know, and they're going to have to work for their minutes too. They're, they're going to get them. But again, the teams that win in this league, you're top, they're top five defensively in the NBA. And for the Pelicans, who still finished 20th, uh, I think we're 20th in the league, even after that surge where they were top 10 down the stretch, it's going to be a big jump to get to from 20th to, to, to be in the top 10 even this season. Yeah, I mean, Herb Jones can only do so much, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of nights when both Herb and Larry Nance Jr. are closing because the Pelicans are like, like we just have to put as much defensive protection, you know, around our stars as we can. And you can throw Trey Murphy in there too. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the finals last year, you know, the Warriors and the Celtics, two elite defensive teams who could play in all sorts of different ways, you know, very versatile teams. They could switch, they can, you know, play the drop. Like they're they're just so connected, like tenacious defensive teams. Um and yeah, I mean, like Brandon Ingram, I think has got to build on what he did last year. I thought he was better last year on defense than his first two years with the Pelicans. You know, I, I feel like it doesn't get talked about like Zion was a really good defender at Duke. I mean, I think he led the ACC in steals. He was like sixth in blocks. Like he was a game changer on defense. Uh, I remember like some of the draft heads like Sam, Sam Vicini, I think wrote in the lead up to the draft. Like if, if this guy lives up to his potential, he could be a defensive player of the year candidate. And like, we haven't seen that at all. Mm -mm. And he's very young, but I mean, honestly, I do think a big part of it is he just has been played at a significantly heavier weight. And he's always coming back from injury in the NBA. Like if he is in elite shape, like I think he can at least be fine on defense in the NBA. Um, so, I mean, I'm curious, like does, does the Duke version of him or something close to that, like ever come back? Or is that just gone on defense specifically? Yeah, my questions for Zion, it's, it's you know, can he it, – it's a mental part. I think, I think it's that mental part of – some of it is reps. And people say, look, he hasn't been on the court for essentially two out of his three seasons. Um, uh, and he's only played, a, you know, like you said, 85 games. That's one season's worth of games. 
Um, but part of it, too, is it, there were times in space in particular where he looked lost, where he did not understand his assignment. And I think that's also the case with Jackson Hayes is that their instincts on defense have not lived up to, to their potential and their athletic athletic ability for Zion. Somebody else has to emerge in that starting group as an elite defender, and it has to be either Brandon or Zion. It's that simple because it's not going to be Jonas at this point in his career. It's not going to be CJ at this point in in his career. But one of the starters has to become a legitimate defensive threat. Yeah, I'm with you. And and I mean, for Brandon Ingram, there's no reason why he he can't just be, you know, an average defender. Like he's got this insane wingspan. I mean, you know, like I just I don't I don't think there's any reason why he should be as bad on defense as he was his first years with the Pelicans. Like I thought he was much better with the Lakers. I I think in stretches on defense than we saw in those first years with the Pelicans. Um, so, I mean, I, like I think he's capable and I just hope he continues to build off what he did last year. Um, let's go to um, the luxury. Like we talk about with the Pelicans depth, you have the eighth pick in the draft, Dyson Daniels, who, I think that, you know, he was he was somebody I had an eye on early on. Um, and clearly that was who the Pelicans wanted. Um, you lose EJ Liddell, who I think that they had uh, plans for in the rotation, um, you know, to be that another big defensively. Uh, but they have the luxury of allowing Dyson Daniels to figure things out. I think he puts pressure on Kyra Lewis as well because he is a lead guard at six foot eight. And like I said, this is a very small backcourt for the most part, but you don't have to rush him like you did the rookies last year out of necessity who had to come in and play, particularly Herb Jones. Um, I think Dyson Daniels though, it's like getting a wild card a third of the way through the season or halfway through the season when he is able to get rotation minutes. Yeah. My, my kind of default position on rookies is, they're just they're not going to be positives in their first year just because the overwhelming majority of them aren't like even even the ones who are good for the teams that drafted him like it often takes multiple years but having said that i mean i i've heard really positive things you know about dyson just you know during the summertime and and kind of these voluntary workouts and i love the pick too like i thought it made complete sense i mean i think the pelicans were thrilled that he was there at 8 i think there was a lot of celebration when the Trailblazers took Shaden Sharp at number seven. I think Portland was kind of picking between those two guys, you know, Sharp and Dyson Daniels. Um, I mean, like Dyson to me, a legit six foot seven, six foot eight, like huge guard. I think already, you know, a pretty mature body. I think he's going to be very switchable. And I, I offense, you know, he's not really a shot creator right now, but he doesn't have to be. Like that's kind of the beauty of him on this team. It's like, You've got a lot of guys that can do that. Like, just be a ball mover. And he clearly understands how to do that. Like, keep it hopping, you know, make the right decision. Don't make many mistakes. Um, so I'm I'm really interested, you know, to, to see what he's got. And I love his fit on this team. I think he kind of feels, and I know this is the strike some people's nerve, but I think he kind of feels a Lonzo ball type role um, in that he will not be expected to shoot a ton, but it, you know, he showed. Um, a decent looking stroke. I think his, his shot is not broken at all. Um, but he's a guy, like you said, to be a connector, keep the ball moving. He can get into the paint. He add his size. Um, and he's a guy that can get, you know, create rebounds and things like that. And we know that he came in the league. The first thing he wanted to talk about was defense. He says he wants to be a force on defense. So if you can add another six foot eight guy, like you said, with that wingspan who can switch one, two, and three, and play those defensive positions, that's a huge bonus to have coming off the bench. And again, for a guy like Najee Marshall, he pushes Najee Marshall as well. I think that, you know, Dyson Daniels is going to make some guys work because they, like you said, the Pelicans don't need more points necessarily, but they do need great defenders on the floor as often as possible. Yeah. I mean, I think that that comparison is kind of interesting. I mean, I, I heard, you know, in the lead up to the draft, some people throw that comparison kind of Lonzo Ball-esque with, you know, a little bit better of a body, like he's just a little bit bigger. I mean, you hope he's a little more a little more sturdy. And Lonzo's, right. you know, had a lot of health issues, unfortunately. Uh, but, I mean, I think that's a pretty good comp. I mean, I don't think he's the level of passer that Lonzo was, especially in the open court. I mean, 
almost nobody on earth is, but right. I think that's like, I, I like that comparison. I mean, I, that feels pretty close to me. Um, what do you think about the, the, the development for like the other second guys? How high are your expectations for Herb Jones? Um, for me, I think Herb can, you know, I think Herb has Scotty Pippen type potential as a defender and as a secondary offensive player, a guy who's not going to give you 30 every night, you know, something like that, but can be an 18, 19 point scorer legitimately for you on a regular basis, give you five assists, give you six, seven rebounds, give you, we know he can give you blocks. We know he can give you steals. I think the the concern for me is like a guy like Jose Alvarado, who I think can get better, but because of his size, there is a, a ceiling ultimately for Jose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jose is such an interesting case. Cause it's like, I mean, we, I know rookies are often not good. Undrafted rookies, almost never good. And like undrafted rookies who are five foot 10. Like, I mean, when is the last time that happened? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't recall that happening. I mean, it was so, it was so rare. And, you know, usually you when you know when the guy's five foot ten, five foot eleven, he's just he's just getting bullied on defense. Like it just, you know, he can be a really good side to side mover and quick and great hands and strong, but it just kind of doesn't matter. With Jose, like he, I, I mean, I don't know. He just has a way of playing bigger than he is, um, in a way that's I think you know really unique. And yeah, I'm I mean I, I I'm interested to see like if he can be the same guy this year. Um, I mean I I think on offense. You know, he's just a really steady hand, like great assist to turnover ratio last year. Like I just, I just trust him. Like he's never going to try to do too much. He's always going to take good shots. He's a good passer. Um, so, I mean, I guess the hope is like, Hey, can you be that same, just very solid player? Obviously during the regular season, I think Willie will go deep into his bench. That's what he, he did last year. This team is still young. So I think that, you, you know, you have to take guys and give them, um, you ride out streaks where they're not playing, you know, as well. And like you said, second year players, there's going to be up and downs. You, you can't, it, there's no straight line as, as Antonio Daniels likes to say, development does not come in a straight line. If you were do, filling out the rotation, you're Willie green. You eventually want to get it down to eight or nine. You know, that's where you want to be by the time the playoffs are. You've got your fives. Who are your four off the bench that you're counting on? Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm him, like, I'm penciling in Jose as my backup point guard right now. I mean, I just, I felt like he earned it with the way he closed last season. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. is definitely in there. I think Trey Murphy has got to be in there. And, you know, just, I think, as we said, like, I think Larry's going to play some backup five and like, you'll, you'll see a lot of that in the really important moments, but I still think like either one or Jackson or Billy has got to play those backup five minutes during the regular season. And, you know, as far as that goes, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I would just need to like see it during training camp. Has Jackson gotten better on defense when he's playing the five? I mean, I think that's kind of been his biggest weakness. He just can't be a, a team's defensive anchor. He hasn't shown that yet, mm. you know, when he is playing at, at the center position. So what does that mean for a Devontae Grant, who is a veteran, but we've seen his stats decline each of the last three seasons. His shooting has gotten worse, and that's his main contribution is his ability to shoot the ball from deep. His three-point percentage has gone down each season for the last three years in a row. He's not an impact defender. He doesn't create shots for others particularly well. What is his role, and, and, and do you expect them to be actively seeking to move him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they – have definitely explored, you know, trades involving him this summer earlier. I mean, I think it's, I think it'll be something they continue to look at. Um, you know, like I, I think if he's, if he's here at the start of the start of the season, I don't think it's gonna be a situation where he's playing zero minutes or anything like that. Like he'll, he'll be in the rotation. I mean, I don't know how much, but even if Willie's going 10 deep, like he'll be a part of it. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think it's ideal to play Jose and Devante together just because, yeah, that does not work. <laughs> yeah, you're giving up. You're giving up a lot of size. I mean, they they kind of tried it last year and it didn't look great. But I mean, I think you know, there's a chance that we do see that. You know, if 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 Devontae's still here at the start of the season, I, I, they have to play. Him. I mean, if he's going yeah. to have any trade value, you have to play him. That's you know, just to get him on the floor. But it's just like you said. I don't. It, I think he has to be prepared for some DNPs. You know, uh, like I think he'll get minutes some nights because of matchups. Um, and, and when they need shooting, but he also has to be prepared that there are going to be nights where Willie's going to rely on the defense and he's going to have to, you know, 
say, I'll sacrifice the three-point shooting to see if we can gut this one out. He would rather be in the 105s, you know, with this team than trying to, to get race every night to 120 with people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you can't, if he's still here, like, you can't DNP him, you know, as you said. I mean, because you're, I think you're going to, you know, continue to, like, look at stuff that makes sense. Um, I mean, like, you know, I think the whole reason he brought in, because the Pelicans were going to try to lean into this idea of, like, okay, like, we had some success on offense with Zion, like, kind of controlling the flow and playing in the perimeter more. Um, and, and you know, the, the idea of Devontae was, like, he's a guy who makes sense in that concept. And like, you know, that just went out the window last year because Zion was hurt the whole year. Um, so, you know, does playing more minutes alongside Zion help him at all? I mean, yeah, there's a pretty good chance. Um, so maybe that is something that, that works in his favor. Like you're playing with, a you know, like just elite shot creation of this guy who has this incredible gravity as a driver. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know, maybe that is something that helps. Um, as we look at the the Western Conference now, and like we talked about, if that at their best, um, the Pelicans should, I think, contend to be a, a home court advantage team. But if you were saying I'm giving the most realistic, considering what we know about this team historically with their injuries, knowing you know that they are still relatively young and that they still, you know, as good as last season was, they were still well below 500. Um, they've struggled at home to to get a legitimate home court advantage, which is something that I think will be improved this year. Again, as the fan base has gotten bigger and and, and the, this team matures, what is a reasonable, um, in your mind, win expectation for this team? What was what was the over under? Like a lot of them been like 43 and a half, 44 and a half, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I I have them somewhere, but you know, personally, I have them around 43 to 45. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, finishing um, like a 45 or above is like a, a pretty big win to me. I mean, I like the chance of doing it too, just because I feel like CJ is such a, he's such a floor raiser. Like BI, you know, like he's shown like he's an incredible ceiling raiser. Like he was amazing in the playoffs last year, but like he hasn't been a great floor raiser so far in his career. Like just having CJ, I feel like I there's so much dependability and availability that, he, that he's shown throughout his career. So just like having him here gives me confidence that this will be a team with a winning record and a team, you know, I feel pretty good about, uh, you know, avoiding even that, that play in tournament as long as everyone's healthy. Yeah. And, and I think you are, you look at the West and there are four teams now that you count out from day one. Houston's not going to make the playoffs. Utah is clearly tr not trying to make the playoffs. Um, Oklahoma city ain't going to make the playoffs. And I think the Spurs, their streak finally ends of at least getting to the play-in. I think the Spurs have have kind of given this season a pass. Um, that puts the Pelicans in a pretty good position. I mean, like, you know, uh, to, to at least know that they're not expected to be at the bottom of that group anymore. They should be a legitimate contender, but they still play in an extremely difficult division. I think people need to remember that because Dallas – is better than, I, you know, their roster, at least we look at it and we say Dallas is better than they were last year. Memphis had the second best record in the West and who, you know, they're not going away. I don't know if they're as good as their record was last year, but they're certainly a team that's not going away. It's still a tough division. You still have the Golden State Warriors who are the defending champions. You still have um, some very talented teams out West. Sacramento still finished for all the mess that they had. They were only a couple games behind the Pels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are are pretty high in Sacramento right now too. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm curious what you think. I mean, like Keegan Murray, it seemed like he had a really good summer, but it's just summer Still league. Sacramento. I mean, are you just, are you buying the Kings as a playing tournament team? Maybe. I mean, I think that the, the, they could because of the four bottom teams. You know, there are yeah. only 15 teams, so somebody's got to make spot 10. And I think, you know, we're counting four out. So who's at that bottom? You know, I think Phoenix comes back a little bit, certainly. I don't think they're losing DeAndre Ayton is just, you know, you, know, you can't. I, I, I just, I look at that team and, I, you know, they're older too. Chris Paul showed that, it, again, at the end of the season, Chris Paul, for as great as he is, he breaks down at the end of the season. It's hard for him to do it. So I think the West, the, the top two are going to be pretty hard. But the rest of it, again, 
that three through 10 is going to be very permeable and teams at different points of the year, whether or not they get an extended winning streak, which is another thing for the Pelicans. They haven't had a winning streak longer than four games in four years. This year, they've got to put together some seven, you know, six, seven, eight, nine game win streaks together at some point to really establish themselves and make sure that they're not chasing the seven, the eight. They they do not want to be in that playing situation again. Yeah. And I mean, last year, like they were they were definitely beneficiaries of this was a weaker than usual West. I mean, like. I mean, finishing 10 games under 500, I think, in most years will probably not get you into that play in tournament in the West. I mean, this year I mean the Clippers, know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we yeah. haven't talked about the Clippers who will be healthy in a relatively speaking. Yeah, the Clippers and the Nuggets. I mean, like Jamal Murray didn't play at all last year. I mean, uh, so I mean, like and I think the Clippers and the Nuggets quarterback by the, the end yeah. of the season. Like I think the Clippers and the Nuggets, like it would not surprise me at all if either of them won the championship. Like I think they're really good rosters, uh, you know, if they're healthy. So I mean, yeah, you definitely you know, have to contend with those teams who I, I'm going to presume are back at full strength. Um, I mean, it, it should be like just another brutal year after kind of like a down year last year in the West. And again, Clay Thompson missed half the season and Golden State's young players, a lot of them missed a lot of time. So they'll be deeper this year than they were last year. Um, so I think, you know, th- they're not going to slide away either it's it's really tough at the top but i think the pelicans can again it's it's about that consistency that's the this with this team consistency of health consistency defensively and consistency at home they've got to be a legitimate team that can win 30 games at home this season yeah i know i mean like does does the end of last year and you know how fun that was and and what a breakthrough moment that felt like does that does that make them hungry for more? Does it make them complacent? I mean, it seems like, you know, all the all the signs are good so far. Like they're getting together, voluntary mini camp. There's great attendance. Like, I mean, everything I've heard about Zion too is like he's really motivated to to remind people how good he is. I mean, we'll we'll see. It's always just kind of weird with Zion, but like everything everything you hear right now is is encouraging. I think, um, and you know, I mean, I I I think they are going to take another step forward. I want to switch gears now. You had an article come out on Thursday. This will air on Friday. So on Thursday, you had an article come out about um, Antonio Daniels and Joel Myers re-upping um, with Bally Sports. Um, certainly Pelicans fans love them. Um, and generally, they're considered one of the best um, TV duos. That's not the problem. The problem is Bally Sports and Bally Sports Plus in particular. And you know, you, you 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 put there the numbers in your in your article. Nineteen ninety nine a month, one hundred eighty nine dollars, one hundred ninety dollars essentially for the year to watch the Pelicans from October to June, from October to June, and that's an NBA greatly reduced the NBA greatly reduced the price of league pass to watch all the teams across the league. And Bally Sports is charging this, this, in my mind, a ridiculous amount of money for a service that people have not been satisfied with them in general um, since they took over from Fox Sports. Yeah, I mean, like the the so I've seen Bally Sports launch a direct consumer streaming service, Bally Sports Plus, and I've seen NESN, which broadcast uh, Red Sox and Bruins games, launch one. And the price points for these RSN like direct to consumer. It's significantly higher than like your streaming services like Netflix, you know, Disney Plus, Hulu, and stuff like that. Like Bally, as you just said, it's twenty bucks a month. NESN's thirty. I mean, it's just tough. It's like you're gonna ask people to pay five, ten, fifteen more dollars per month for, you know, to to watch their hometown team than like all of HBO Max or all of Netflix or something like that. Like it's just a really high price point. I mean. I don't know. It's it's tough. And then like with any any SN, it's like you're getting Red Sox and Bruins games and the like, you know, that's like the most sports rabid part of the country. And there's money there but right. here. It's like they're trying to like continue to build a fan base, uh, you know, for the Pelicans. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's really tough. I mean, the, I think the best the best case scenario short term would have been to partner with like uh NBC, which is owned by Comcast, and and be available on YouTube TV and Hulu Live. Um, I don't have I don't know all the details of why that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, this is kind of what we're stuck with for now. 
it just feels like the Pelicans squandered an opportunity there because I think they had leverage going to this into that negotiation because there is so much excitement. There is so much interest in this team. People want to see them again nationally. Um, and locally, though, you're also in a you have to re- we keep reminding people this is a not only a small market, it's a small market that has a lot of poverty. New Orleans is a hard, you know, there are a lot of hardworking people who for them, 15, you know, $19 a month is a lot of money. $20 a month is a lot of money to ask out of them. There, there are tickets in the stadium that don't go for 20, 20 bucks. And, and I think it's, it's just, it's a hard ask when you are trying to get people to finally buy in. You've been waiting for 15 years, essentially, for this community to embrace the team and say, we're in with you. And they're ready to do that. We saw last year the growth of this fan base to not only be active, but to be defiant and, you know, to be a fan base that was ready to take it to the rest of the nation and say we we exist. I think it's it's a missed opportunity public relations wise. And I think it's a misstep. It's a miscalculation financially, because I think a lot of people are stating their displeasure publicly and don't want to get get that service. Yeah. And it's like. You know, if you're if you're, you know, Sinclair or Valley Sports Plus, like, why not start this at 10 bucks a month and get people in and then, you know, increase your price next year or something like that? Like, that's such a I don't I mean, I just I can't imagine the numbers for this are going to be good at all. I just can't. They're going to be the the illegal streaming market (laughs) is going to be high. I mean, at this you're better off. You know, you can get DirecTV or AT, uh, you know, um, DirecTV or ATU versus what? Those are going to be cheaper. Those packages are cheaper. I mean, I think Bally Sports yeah. just shot itself in the foot and they miscalculated who's going to buy these games. I, I just, I really think they have. Yeah, it's it's tough, and it's like, you know, if you're subscribing to Bally Sports Plus, you're not even going to be able to watch the other teams' local games on Bally Sports Plus, like. You know, let's say like you want to watch the Charlotte Hornets play the Indiana Pacers. Well, you can't watch that on your Bally Sports app. Like the only thing you're going to be able to like, get is, you know, the Pelicans, the game and the pre and the post game show, which I mean, I think like I love their broadcasters like Joel and A.D. agree are one of the, the best duos, you know, in all of the NBA. Like I think it's a really good production and all that. But like it's just you're not getting a whole lot for what you're paying. You know, like you don't there's not like a wealth of content or anything like that. Right. You're, you're not getting anything that's exclusive that I can't get watching from home. I mean, you're just not. Um, let's move on to, um, did you get a chance? I asked you that yesterday. To, did you get a chance to watch the Tim Diney documentary on Netflix? I watched it this morning, actually, in between uh, two of the Eurobasket games on your recommendation. I, I heard good things, too. But yeah, I watched it this morning. It was, to me, Look, first of all, I think Donaghy comes off um, as a liar at the end, especially when they talk about the money. When he says he only made 30000 bucks, either he's the dumbest man ever, which he clearly is not dumb. He's clearly a very intelligent man. But there's no – and he talks about all this money he was spending. That's a lot more than $30,000. If you're talking about you bought your wife these $10,000 diamond earrings, you did this, you bet over 100 games um, – I think he comes off poorly, but I think the NBA comes off really poorly as well because, yeah, it's never one guy. And the part to me, if we were talking about finance, insider trading, which is essentially what he's he's guilty, he was guilty of, if he's trading information and he's getting it from refs and they're talking about, I don't like this player or I don't like this coach or we're going to not, who's going to make the first call, things like that. That's there are multiple parties, I think, who should have been punished here. Yeah. Uh, uh, Miles Brown is one of my favorite Twitter follows. And I, I think he said that if David Stern was still running the league and, and they tried, you know, to publish this doc, he would have called it in an airstrike. And uh, it really made me laugh because it was like, yeah, this was uh, this was not a good look for the NBA at all. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that this was, you know, kind of one bad actor. That was that was the narrative that they spun. Um I don't I honestly don't remember if it was reported at the time these phone calls between Tim Donahue and Scott Foster. I don't know if that came out originally, but that was in the doc, you know, how frequently they were communicating. Um yeah, that definitely made, made you raise, raise your eyebrows. I mean it's it's hard to believe that this was one bad actor. And no, I I mean I don't believe him at all and he says he only made $30,000. I mean, yeah, I mean the ending, I mean spoiler alert, turn it off now if if you 
if you want me to ruin it. But at the end, they ask him, like, is that all you made? And he goes, I don't know. And then a later interview, they're like, hey, man, you said, I don't know. And then he's like, oh, I, I don't remember saying that. Like, yeah, that was all I made. You know, it's like, OK. No. And, and the lone actor part, like I said, they interviewed and this is all public record. So it's it's some of this cannot be a spoiler because it was all out during the investigation. But there were 60 reps who admitted to gambling in some type of way. And Donaghy says this was a gym, though they knew they couldn't bet on games per se. Gambling was a part of their life. It was something that guys did on the road. We had the controversy, remember, with, uh, with officials selling their tickets, um, their first class tickets and take, keeping the money. And uh, a ref got punished for that. And Donaghy also, there were games, again, these guys that he didn't participate in when he talks about the Kings game in particular, which everyone always points to, or other games that were, were fans. Well, you've seen, we've seen it talked about on Twitter all the time. Oh, who's ref in this game? Is Chris Paul going up against this ref? Is this player playing against with this ref tonight? Oh, they're going to lose tonight. That impression still has not left the league about which refs are going to call certain types of games. And I think the NBA had an opportunity to root it, root some stuff out, deal with it at one time. But now I think there is still this lingering feeling ultimately that's that there are refs who have agendas at the very least, whether or not you want to stay to the level of fixing games. But I think it is a lot like what they say in the Donaghy thing is you are compromised in some way by your person, uh, personal feelings or your personal uh, relationships. Oh yeah, totally. Like, it, you know, I mean, it, it, it seemed pretty clear that like these guys, you know, we're not trying to act as impartially as they should have. And they, and they let, you know, like personal opinions of people like influence their decision-making, which, you know, some of that's only natural, only human, but it seems like they could have done a better job of that. Um, and, it, you know, like Tim Donahue, he said he was making $400,000, something close to that, you know, without the betting. It's like, man, that's an incredible lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, man, I mean, you, you didn't need to do that at all, but right. I mean, I guess, you know, that's just, and that I think that reinforces that it's there's no way because why would you do that? Why would you risk your career when you're making that's less than 10 percent of your annual income? If, if that's what you made over multiple years with this three years, this went on and you made less than 10 percent of one year's income out of it. That to me just is completely um, if, and other guys are making millions. Other guys are making millions off of this. And you, the only cut you get. I just it, it, that's a that's a big pill to try to, to to shove down your throat. One thing that was unclear to me, um, and maybe the answer, and I just missed it. Are him and his wife still together? Because nope. his wife, you know, talks a lot in this documentary, and she's very candid. Um, and I thought she was great in it, but I mean, I I'm assuming they're not together anymore. No, he's he he did mention that they were divorced, that they had gotten divorced. Okay, that, that she couldn't deal with it, and, and they got divorced, but. I mean, look, the guy paid a price, um, but I do think the NBA certainly, NBA, like they said, who had the most to gain by leaking the information? NBA. It, God, Donaghy doesn't have anything. You're a cooperating witness. So what does leaking help you? You know, I, I just, you don't want to go yeah. to jail for 15 months. He thought he wasn't going to go to jail for 15 months. He thought he would get probation. So leaking, it didn't help him. I, David Stern just, it, yeah, if he, if he was still alive, there's like you said, either he'd have to bomb somebody or he'd be facing a lot of questions right now. And I think Adam Silver as his number one lieutenant, somebody should be asking those questions, too, because he couldn't have been out of the loop during this time. I mean, I thought one of the funniest details, too, was, uh, you know, the, the Fed, who they talked to a lot, who was <laughs> conducted as an investigation, said that David Stern basically offered him a job while the investigation was going on. <laughs> We could use a guy like you. <laughs> That's amazing. I wonder. I wonder what his salary would have been. Yeah, it would have been nice. Yeah. I, I'm betting it would have been seven figures. <laughs> I'm betting it would have been seven figures if he takes that job. You know, it, it just it, it it it's been a very interesting uh, off these documentaries, the sports documentaries, and a lot of them um, have just been exceptional. But it also they raise a lot of questions. I still have. Have you seen the Manti Te'o one? I'll end on this, but have you seen the Manti Te'o one as well? Yeah, I, I did watch that one. That left me some questions as well. Manti Te'o, I understand the catfishing. I get that it's a real thing, and we've seen it. There's, I mean, MTV has a TV show on it. Um, but dude. 
there's still some things that just feel unanswered to me. Some questions that even that any rational person, um, particularly a college student, and you're talking about somebody who supposedly went to Stanford University, which Notre Dame played against Stanford during that time, um, you know, is the questions that go unanswered by him. And then I think Notre Dame, too, when you found out about it, when he tells Notre Dame this story and they say, we don't have to respond. That was one of the oddest things ever to me, that they didn't pay a bigger price publicly for essentially not protecting their student athlete. They put him in a position to get it, to, to get what he got um, from the public. Yeah, I mean, my, my takeaways were like Renaya did not seem that remorseful to me. I was like, this person should, I don't know, to me feel like a lot worse about terrible things they did. But uh, also... Was it a group of people who were doing the catfishing too? I mean, I think there was like, you know, they said in the, in the documentary, like there was a belief in media circles, like, yeah, maybe this was more than one person doing this. And I mean, they, they created really a whole family. But yeah, like, <laughs> was this like a group of people, like a you know, like a conspiracy? I don't know. It's just, it was just very odd, and I, I, I feel for Manti Teo, but I think people who think that he, I just. If you're smart enough to go to Notre Dame, you're smart enough to be in position. And he he certainly doesn't get to the Heisman Trophy uh, finals without the story. The story was a big part of his whole whole year to watch him when he's standing up there and they're asking him directly. You know, again, you lose your grandmother and your girlfriend on the same day. Notre Dame did not do its job. I've been an SID. You certainly that's the university president knew had to have known at that point. The athletic director knew at that point. Everybody knew that something was amiss. You could have gotten ahead of it. There, there's a way to protect that young man and say he was the victim of a scam. You get out and you tell people he's the victim here early and do it. But I think Notre Dame was far more concerned with trying to win a Heisman Trophy and getting some notoriety for a program that had been down for a long time. I think that they were, they were concerned about the dollars they might lose more so than they were concerned about Manti Teo. Yeah, that was, that was a wild one. The untold stories uh, docs have been uh, enjoyable for sure. Um, Matt, I, I thank you for your time. It's been a fantastic conversation. I always enjoy when we get to talk. Um, please uh, tell, let folks know, of course, how they can follow you and, and where they can catch your work. And then um, you're working on anything uh, interesting coming up in the near future. Oh, man, you uh, read my stuff on null.com. I should have something on uh, Swin Cash coming next week. Um, gotten the, to talk to some folks who have known her for a long time. And then uh, got a once a week podcast from the wing. You can subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, for Christian Clark, I'm David Grubb. You know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Instagram and Twitter and Hard to Paint wherever you get your podcasts. You can also um, now catch us on YouTube, Hard to Paint. Just look it up, Hard to Paint with David Grubb. They're on YouTube as well. And uh, be back with another one on Monday. So until then, thanks for listening and uh, have a great week.